Pottywomple with the Shadow People is a narrative podcast about friendship, magic, mystery, and the divine feminine. This podcast sometimes deals with topics of a sensitive nature, so listener discretion is advised. The storm is here. Thunder booms through the air, shaking the earth beneath her. Rain falls in torrents from the sky, doing its best to wash away the sins of the townsfolk. But not even buckets of rain can wash the grime of greed that coats the land. Only fire can cleanse this town of its injustice. This fire will spread as she cottywomples with the shadow people. Episode 8. The Storm Woman Strikes. The chateau was silent save for Hecate's weeping and coughing. She sat at the table in front of an untouched cup of tea. Aradia broke the near silence, lamenting the fact that she riled Morganstern up with her antics. She apologized for spurring him to such violent and underhanded actions. Hecate reassured her that Morganstern must have had this plan for months, if not years. All the storm woman had done was expedite the process. Lilith assured Hecate that she had a room at the chateau as long as she wanted one, and that she would waive the first couple months' rent. Aradia tried to lighten the mood by stating that at this rate, all of the chateau's rooms would be occupied. Hecate glared and said, Well, then I guess it's good you ain't going to be staying here for long, is it? That'll free up a room. Hecate regretted what she had said as soon as she said it. She didn't apologize with words, but she did drop her gaze shamefully. Aradia didn't expect to be forgiven. She knew that her old friend was grateful to her for saving the crossroads but she also knew that five years of resentment couldn't be washed away with one night of rain. Aradia was pulled out of her self-pity by a series of loud knocks at the door. Lilith laughed humorlessly at the sound and said, Probably another tenant. Aradia ran to the door, worried that whoever was on the other side was bringing news of more fires. She was relieved to see Jesse, the town's repairman, standing at the threshold. She never thought she'd be relieved to see him ever again. Before she could regain her cold composure and mutter a curt, What are you doing here? He spoke. Is Hecate with you? I was out for a walk to clear my head and I smelled smoke. I followed it and found Hecate's place burnt to a crisp. Aradia assured him that she was safe with them. She told him that she would let her know that he had stopped by and began to close the door, but Jesse stopped her. That's not all, he said as he pulled out a matchbook. I found this near the ashes. Aradia took the matchbook and observed it. This wasn't just any old matchbook. The words Morning Star Inn were written on the front flap. Aradia gritted her teeth and said that there was no need for her father to leave a calling card because she already knew it was him. She felt numb. She did not want to walk back to the kitchen with proof of her father's malfeasance just yet, so she just shut the front door behind her and sat down on one of the rocking chairs. 
Jessie knew that he was not in her good graces, but he sat in the rocking chair next to her anyway. He figured comforting his oldest friend was worth the risk of being snapped at. She wanted to snap at him, but all she could do was mutter a week. What were you doing out so late in this part of town anyway? I was actually on my way to see you, he answered honestly. A radius shot him an incredulous look that seemed to say, What business do we have together? So Jesse continued, I heard you wanted to open the chateau back up. I wanted to offer my services to help restore the place to its former glory. Aradia's ears perked at his offer, but she remained cautious. And how much would these repairs cost us? A free drink at the bar every now and then? And, uh... Assurance? That my best friend will come home? Aradia glared at him. I am back home, aren't I? You know what I mean. I want you to be home for good. I want you to stay. The town ain't been the same since you left. Yeah, because it lost its favorite target. Everyone in town hated me because of who my mama was, and everyone at the Chateau didn't trust me because of who my father was. And then you... <sighs> Aradia stopped herself before revealing too much. I what? Well, spit it out. Aradia finally snapped like Jessie knew she would. I heard what you said to your mama about me that night. Jessie was stunned silent. A great look of shame clouded his face. Aradia, I... I'm so... Save it, she interrupted. I gotta go to bed if I plan on confronting dear old dad tomorrow morning. Before she shut the door behind her, she heard Jessie say, My offer's still open. The next day, Aradia stormed her way to the Morning Star Inn with the matchbook in her hand. She had to be careful not to crush it out of anger. She couldn't risk damaging the incriminating words printed on the front flap. She was inches away from the grimy door handle when a larger, calloused hand grabbed it first. She looked up to see Jessie standing next to her. You better not be here to stop me. Jessie shook his head and assured her that he was there to present a united front. When he saw a look of suspicion in her eyes, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you before, but I want to be here for you now. She was stunned by his apology. She had been so defensive and dedicated to protecting herself that she never expected anyone to offer her an apology. All she could do was nod her head and allow him to walk beside her as they entered the den of iniquity. They marched right into Morganstern's office without knocking, causing Sally May, who was sitting on his lap, to jump. She seemed grateful for the disturbance and used the interruption as an excuse to run out of there. Aradia noted the look of guilt that clouded the young woman's face. Before the slimy innkeeper could inquire about their intentions, his daughter threw the matchbook at him, hitting his chest. He picked up the offending object. Assaulting me in my own establishment. I have half a mind to call the sheriff on you. Hecate could have died last night, Aradia shouted. 
Morgenstern feigned sympathy and tried to hide his smirk, though Aradia and Jesse knew he wasn't trying very hard. Yes, I heard about the fire. What a shame. Don't give me that. That matchbook proves that you sent one of your little cronies to kill Hecate and destroy the crossroads. Morgenstern let out a short laugh. Some cardboard and phosphorus is hardly damning, my dear. All this proves is that someone dropped their matches. And let's think about this rationally. There was a storm last night. What would be easier for the townsfolk to believe? That I, a well-respected businessman, had a house that I own and rent burnt to a crisp? Or that a dilapidated shack was struck by lightning? The storm happened after Hecate's house burnt down, Aradia tried to argue. And you can prove that? Aradia felt Jesse stiffen next to her. In that moment, they both realized that while the storm may have saved the crossroads, it destroyed any validity in their claims. Aradia didn't regret causing the storm, but she did feel hopeless. Jesse could tell that the storm woman was losing her resolve, so he spoke up. You know how important the crossroads is to this town, especially with the hunter's moon coming up. My mama's buried there, Aradia squeaked out, trying to fight back tears. You were going to burn away the crossroads and her memory along with it. Morgenstern clenched his jaw, but kept his composure. How do you even know your mother's memory is still there? I've been down to the crossroads during the hunter's moon, and I've never seen her spirit. Aradia could feel the anger and heat radiating off of Jessie as her old friend shouted, So that's what this is about. You're just mad that Diana doesn't want to talk to you, so you want to destroy her final resting place. Morgenstern glared at Jesse, but ignored his accusation and kept his attention trained on Aradia. Tell me, daughter, why do you care so much about what happens to those spirits, or anyone in town for that matter? You know your mother's people only see you as a bastard, and the townsfolk would run you out of town on a rail if they could. He then pointed to Jesse. Hell, his mama would be leading the charge. Jesse tried to mutter the words, that's not true, but Morgenstern kept going. No one in this town cares if you live or die. The only person who gives two shits about you is me. Now I've been patient, I've offered you work, a home, and a family, and you reject me at every turn. A lesser man would let his patience wear thin, but now I realize I've wasted too much time trying to find your price. All I really need to do is wait you out, because the next terrible storm will destroy the crossroads. It may even destroy the chateau. I mean, you never know where lightning is going to strike. And once you have nothing left to romanticize, you'll have no choice but to come crawling back to the only family you have left. Aradia ran out of the office before the two men could see her tears start to fall. As she pushed her way through the inn's main hall, she ran straight into Sally May. As their bodies collided, she caught a whiff of something familiar. Kerosene. 
Sally Mae froze as she saw the look of realization cross Aradia's face. All the storm woman could manage to squeak out was a small, Why? Sally Mae replied in a broken, shaky voice. It was the only way I could pay off my debts to him. He said if I burned down Hecate's shack in the crossroads, I wouldn't have to work here anymore. I guess everyone's got their price. As she ran through the streets, Aradia asked herself where exactly she was running to. She thought about running back to the chateau to collect her things, or at least grab her cards. Her little bag full of stories. But she wouldn't let herself. She wanted out of this town now. She entertained the idea of walking through the town gate, under the tall lover's trees. Maybe things will change for the better. But she eventually decided against it. She was far too scared of that gate and those trees. Besides, she thought to herself, with my luck, everything would just change for the worse. The forest was her only option. As she ran, she wondered what she would do for money in the next town without her cards. She figured she'd have to dance or lie on her back to make ends meet. Many great people before her had done it. As she got to the forest's edge, she had a different idea. A darker idea. What if she walked a little ways down the path and then broke a rule? Breaking one of the forest's many rules was as easy as looking back. All she had to do is turn her head towards the voice that constantly beckoned to her, and the frightening spirits of the forest would finally have her. Having her face frozen in an oak tree didn't sound too bad right now. As she walked, she heard Morganstern's words echo in her head. No one in this town cares if you live or die. Aradia always knew that, and often repeated those words to herself, but hearing them spoken out loud had confirmed it. Why did she keep coming back to this town? She had always told herself it was because she needed a few weeks to save up money and to visit Minerva. But deep down she knew that she kept returning because she secretly hoped that maybe, just maybe, she would find the sense of community she had always longed for. Maybe the Moon Women would return to the Chateau and welcome her with open arms. Maybe the Chateau would feel more like a home and less like a hotel. Maybe Jesse would... Maybe Jesse would choose her this time. But it was time to stop fantasizing. She had to look behind her one last time. As she squeezed her eyes shut and steadied her breathing to calm herself, she heard a familiar voice tickle her ears. Aradia, Aradia, you know you always have a home in the forest. We want you around. Stay with us forever. Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. The last please stay did not belong to the forest. It belonged to Jesse. She almost turned her head to his voice, but he commanded her not to move and grabbed her hand. Keep your head forward and open your eyes. 
She did as she was told. Please don't surrender yourself to the forest, Aradia. Please don't go. We need you. She wasn't surprised that he had managed to figure out her plan. Jessie had always anticipated her every move, even when they were kids. We want you here. We? She asked, confused. Her ears were immediately met with a chorus of voices saying, Don't go, and we want you here. After listening closely, she could make out who the voices belonged to. Minerva, the midwife who Aradia considered a grandmother. Hecate, Aradia's dearest friend. Lilith, her new friend. And Bastet, the sweet girl whom she rescued. They were behind her, begging her to stay. Minerva stepped up next to her and told her that Jessie had called them and said that she might be in trouble. I know growing up in this town was not easy for you, the midwife said. But we need you. Just as the soil needs rain, this bone-dry town needs a storm. Minerva placed the bag of stories in Aradia's other hand and told her to ask the cards for guidance. She pulled the Fool, the card of new beginnings. She pulled the Three of Cups, the card of community and celebration, and she pulled a card that she had pulled just days earlier at the Morning Star Inn. The Tower, the card of liberation and destruction. Jessie smirked at the card and said, We're going to walk you through the forest and back again, and then we'll discuss how to handle Morgenstern. Aradia thought of the tower card and its imagery, a bright yellow bolt striking and destroying the tall, imposing structure. She smiled and said, I think I have an idea. As my father said, you never know where lightning is going to strike. Mr. Morgenstern began the day in a giddy mood. Today was the day he was going to meet with the cemetery people. The deal was as good as done, but the funeral folks wanted to peruse the land before signing anything. The fact that the day of the tour and the transaction just happened to fall on the day of the Hunter's Moon celebration, perhaps the last Hunter's Moon celebration, was just an added bonus. Soon he would have his final revenge on the woman who broke his heart, as well as his ungrateful daughter. As giddy as he was, he just couldn't seem to shake the uneasy feeling that was nibbling at the edges of his mind ever since Aradia burst into his office. The uneasy feeling wasn't guilt, because Morgenstern had never regretted anything. It was more like a sense of dread. The quiet before the storm. The quiet before a literal storm. For dark, heavy clouds were hanging over the town. But he was determined to not let the threat of rain put a damper on his plans. He waited by the town gate where they had agreed to meet. He figured it was better for the outsiders to walk through the gate and risk a change that could very well be inconsequential than to walk through a forest that could trap them forever. The cemetery people were 15 minutes late and he was beginning to grow impatient. At 20 minutes, his impatience grew to anger. He was about to march back to his inn and make a furious phone call when he felt a firm hand on his shoulder. Mr. Morgenstern, I presume? The shady businessman turned around to see two tall men and a slightly shorter woman standing in front of him. 
His eyes widened in disbelief because he knew the woman all too well. One of the men said his name was Maury Pluto and proceeded to introduce his wife Persephone and his brother Oz. But Morgenstern needed no introduction for Persephone. She was once a town local, a resident of the chateau, and twin sister of the woman whose shack he burnt down four nights ago. She wore nicer clothes and her hair was shorter, but other than that, she was Hecate's mirror. I know we're a tad late. You see, my wife grew up here and she insisted that we walk through the forest rather than the town gate. It had been seven years since Persephone ran off to get married, and no one had seen her since. Morgenstern introduced himself and hoped that she wouldn't remember him. As they walked through the town, Persephone waved and said hello to everyone they passed. Some tentatively waved back. Some just glared at the cheerful woman whom they once considered a shadow person. Persephone didn't seem to care. They made their way to the east side of town and passed the houses that Morgenstern rented out. He assured them that he was planning to evict the residents and raise the shacks. The man called Oz spoke up. We don't want to displace the living for the dead. Morgenstern half-joked that the residents of the shacks were barely living, but the cemetery people didn't laugh. He was about to try to save face when Persephone let out an ear-shattering scream. What happened to my sister's place? Morgenstern anxiously cleared his throat and stated that the shack was hit by lightning. But the good news is, is that there's one less house to knock down to make way for the cemetery. Persephone was inconsolable as she switched between concern for her sister's life and adamance that they would not establish a cemetery on the remains of her sister's home. Morgenstern tried to regain control of the situation by suggesting that they all go back to his office at the inn. Maybe the lady could calm herself down with a nice drink while the menfolk discuss business. As they made their way back to the center of town, the grimy innkeeper had no idea what awaited him. Aradius stared at the Morning Star Inn from the opposite side of the street. Inside, Hecate, Jesse, Lilith, and Bastet were trying to convince the working girls, waitresses, bar staff, and patrons to leave. It didn't take much convincing to get the ladies and the bartenders out, but some of the patrons were a bit more stubborn. Aradius' friends came out to meet her, but only Lilith, Jesse, and Bastet stayed. Hecate had to go prepare for the Hunter's Moon celebration. Possibly the last Hunter's Moon celebration. Jesse leaned in close to Aradia and whispered that Morgenstern and the cemetery people would be back any minute now, and whatever she had planned on doing, she better start quick. Aradia pulled a card from her pouch. The Justice card. She glared at the grimy place, making sure to focus her stare only on the Morning Star Inn. She couldn't risk accidentally loosing her rage on any other business or home. In the past, when she had brought down storms, she would summon her anger or sadness. And though in this moment, she could feel the palpable rage, it was not the only thing that she felt. As she stared at her father's place of business, she thought about how many people had been hurt or taken advantage of in there. She thought about the destruction of Hecate's home and the near destruction of the crossroads and her mother's spirit. 
She thought about all the good that the chateau could do for the shadow people and other outcasts. She thought about all she could do. She thought about all she could be. She thought all of this and felt a sense of responsibility, a sense of justice. Just down the street, she could hear her father's obnoxious voice, and the sound pushed her to summon all of her righteous rage and hope that was bubbling up inside of her. Her eyes flashed, and she let out the loudest, most ear-piercing scream that she could. But no one heard it, because at that very moment, a thunderous clap shook the ground, and a green lightning bolt shot down from the clouds, striking the morning star in. The grimy place was set ablaze in seconds. The strike and flame were terrifying enough to force the rest of the stragglers out of the bar. Aradia used every ounce of her will to hold off the rain so that the fire could damage the inn beyond repair. The townsfolk all rushed to see the inferno. Mr. Morganstern ran to the building in horror. He begged everyone around him to help, not that there was much that anyone could do. He turned to see Aradia staring intently at the sight. He ran to her, grabbed her shoulders, and shook her violently while screaming, Are you happy now? Jessie pulled the man off of her, and the jostling was enough to get Aradia to relinquish any control she had. The sky opened, and a torrential rain fell over the land, washing away the remains of her father's castle of corruption, washing away the guilt and resentment that Aradia had held on to for five years. A few hours later, Aradia sat in front of the vanity in her room, perfecting the remaining touches of powder and makeup. Tonight was the hunter's moon, and she was nervous to speak to her mother after more than five years. She donned a long blue dress with a purple shawl. The dress was a bit too sheer, but she knew her mother wouldn't care. The storm and fire destroyed the Morning Star Inn, but it didn't destroy the plans for the cemetery. After the inn was reduced to ash, the once local woman named Persephone suggested that they buy the plot of land it once stood on. She made it clear to Morganstern that this was the only way the deal would go through, since there was no way she would force people out of the shacks or infringe upon the crossroads. Morganstern could not rightly refuse the offer since his primary source of income had been burnt to a crisp. When he lamented where he was going to live, Jesse offered to fix up one of his shacks for him. But he didn't offer a discount. As Aradia adjusted the fit of her dress, she heard a faint knock on the door before Lilith walked in and asked her if she was ready. The storm woman looked out her window at the full hunter's moon rising over the trees and nodded her head yes. They walked arm in arm to the crossroads. Lilith carried a basket containing wine, chocolate cheese, and bread, because there is nothing that the dead enjoy more than a moonlit picnic. When they arrived, they were greeted by Hecate, who gave Aradia an extra-long hug. Their friendship was on the mend. Aradia scanned the crossroads, trying to find her mama. Her eyes eventually landed on a spirit with amber eyes that seemed to glow and a long gray braid falling down her back. Aradia waited until her mother's eyes met hers. 
She appeared to be in deep conversation with a woman Aradia didn't recognize with her back turned. After a few moments, her mother found her gaze. She smiled a big beaming smile and said something to the woman. The woman turned around and Aradia was surprised to see that the woman was Jessie's mother, Mary. Mary gave the girl a tight yet seemingly apologetic smile and walked away. Aradia did not hesitate to run into her mother's arms. For a moment, she was worried that hugging a spirit would not be the same as hugging the living. But her mother felt just like Aradia had remembered. During the celebration, the spirits look and feel exactly as they would if they were living. The only way you can tell that they're spirits is the way their eyes and skin shimmer in the moonlight. Aradia told her mother about the places she had traveled and the people she had met. She told her about how Jesse broke her heart, but was doing his best to mend it. She told her about the Morning Star Inn. She told her that she had always listened to the sound of whispers, just like she advised. Every so often, she would try to apologize for being gone so long, but her mother wouldn't hear it. When Aradia had exhausted all of her words, she collapsed in Diana's embrace and listened to her spin tales of the spirit world. I've become I've friendly, friendly with the forest, with the forest spirits, spirits, Diana laughed. When you're dead, when you're dead <laughs> they don't, they try, don't to try to kill you. Aradia giggled and held her mother tight. This is where I belong, and these are the people I belong with she thought to herself. She eventually broke away to fetch her mother some wine and cheese, and when she returned, she saw that her Uncle Paul was visiting with Diana. They seemed to be talking about something serious, so she did not intervene. At midnight, the living gathered and formed a circle around the crossroads and watched as the spirits began floating up towards the moon. As they floated, they started dancing to the sound of the wind whistling through the trees. It was truly a sight to behold. Frivolous spirits with glowing eyes and skin dancing in the moonlight. Everyone was so enthralled with the sight, they didn't see Jesse grab Aradia's hand and kiss it lightly. They didn't see Mr. Morganstern hiding in the shadows and watching Diana with tears in his eyes. They did not notice a small white fox sit next to Aradia and whisper up at her. Psst, Aradia, the charming vulpine fellow said. Why do dirty old men love thunderstorms? Aradia smiled and shrugged. Because lightning flashes them. <laughs> My sweet storm woman, in returning home, you have found a home. And if you ever stray too far again, you can find your way back, if you cottywomple with the shadow people. Cottywomple with the Shadow People was created and performed by Shay Lee and edited by Jonathan Strickland. Special thanks to Lucas Ryan and Jenny Milam. Music by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech Music.